So hi everyone, my name's Yulia, I'm from Stern Chats. Quick show of hands, have any of you guys listened to Stern Chats before? I'm just curious. Okay, awesome. So we have a lot of fans in the room. <laughs> so we have a, thank you. <laughs> so we have a treat for you today for Vets Week. We decided that it would be a good idea to get out of our studio downstairs where we usually record and come up here and do a live recording in front of you guys, our studio audience. <laughs> So we have today our hosts, Masa and Alex. We also have Steve Convery as I guess, who I know you all know. <laughs> A quick housekeeping note before we start. Um, if you all could silence your cell phones and also put away any laptops or other electronic devices that you may be using, that'll just be very helpful for us. And without further ado, let's welcome Steve and cue that music. Whoa. From New York University Stern campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Welcome, Steve. Thank Hi, you. Steve. Thanks for having me. We're really excited to have <laughs> Thank this you to our live audience. <laughs> I feel like it's a little bit of a Block 5 reunion, Alex. Block 5, the best block. Cool. Also loving the flannel on this uh, November day. I think it's a pretty nice shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we want to start things off uh, the stern way with a you know thirty second, sixty second pitch. Nice. Uh, getting to know a little bit about who you are before we dive in. Okay, a bit cool. Um, I'll go about five minutes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so from Cleveland, Ohio, which everyone who knows me I think knows, go Browns. Um, like all the great Cleveland things, the blue collar attitude and all that. Um, for college, went to West Point, so spent the next four years there. Always wanted to fly, so after graduating from West Point, was commissioned as a lieutenant in the Army, went to flight school. So Army flight school is in Fort Rucker, Alabama, so spent the next year and a half or so in a beautiful place. Um, learned to eventually fly the Black Hawk helicopter, which was my goal kind of going there, if it's what I wanted to fly, so got to do that. After graduating flight school, went to Fort Bliss, Texas, which is in El Paso. About four months after arriving, so I was a lieutenant, I didn't really know much. About four months later, was in Western Afghanistan. So <clears throat> spent a couple months in Afghanistan on staff, and then moved up to what everyone considered like the show of it, Eastern Afghanistan, at, to be a flight platoon leader. Um, and during it, just led a flight platoon, which was five helicopters, about 25 soldiers for the next eight or nine months. Came back to the US, stayed there for about eight more months in that role, changed out and thought it was gonna be time to move on to like my next assignment. I thought I'd actually be leaving El Paso. And then if you remember in 2014 is when Ebola started breaking out in Western Africa. So uh, on kind of a short notice deployment, ended up going to Western Africa for about the next six months. Um, helped lead a mission that was helping to <coughs> transport people and transport equipment, building Ebola treatment units. Um, which was the overall like overarching strategy of build the treatment units out in far locations throughout Africa and that way when people are sick instead of going to Monrovia the big city They'll get taken care of out there when that came to an end 
went back to the US, again, thought it was gonna be time to leave, um, thought it would be time to move on to kind of my next assignment. Instead was offered to take command of a assault helicopter company, which I jumped at, that's kind of like the dream job you have at that point. So instead of just, the platoon was five helicopters, as a company, you now have 10, and you're really in charge of like end all, be all, what happens, and leading people, and trying to get everyone set up so they can be successful. So about, did that for about a year in the US, and then we again deployed, but it was, it was supposed to be like a training rotation, it was gonna be in Europe, so it would have been training with NATO allies, um, had a few bags of civilian clothes, was ready for lots of pretzels, thought it would be great. Um, get there and on about the second day got a mission change. So instead we moved to half of our company went to Southeast Turkey, spent the next probably about <coughs> eight months in Southeast Turkey doing missions there, came back to the US and that was kind of the point where did, just did some soul searching, thought there might be other things I wanted to do in the, like in life um, and started looking at business school as options, which uh, brings me here with you fine people. Wow. <laughs> That is quite a story. I feel like I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in your interviews. <laughs> um, so I know you talked about a lot and we definitely want to dig into all of it, but you also mentioned Cleveland and how that was important to you. Would love to kind of talk about your childhood growing up in Cleveland, what that was like. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, it, you know, it, it's been fun to get like multiple diverse perspectives of different places to grow up. So especially when I was in the military, I got to jump around and see a lot of like different groups of people. Mm. Um, there will always be kind of a special place in my heart for Cleveland, though. It's the underdog. Mm. And uh, it's like a working class people who always like I think they value a lot of the right things. And just for that, I'm real excited to go home. Also, the Browns time is coming. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, you mentioned after high school you decided to kind of go to West Point. Um, what prompted that decision? Yeah, so it, I, I think I looked at it growing up, one, wanting to kind of do something different. Yeah. Um, I, I think for, so this is Vets Week for all veterans, like I think it would be hard to find someone who said that 9-11 didn't play like a influence in that decision. Mm -hmm. So when you combine those, I just saw it as like my opportunity to do something unique. Um, and then I remember too, when I actually went and like looked at West Point, once you're there, it's a fairly inspiring place mm -hmm. and kind of thought, hey, this is where I want to be. So a little bit of a plug. It is only like a 50-minute train ride away. <laughs> Football games are great. Go check it out. Awesome. When, when you were young in Cleveland, before you decided to do something different and, you know, go to West Point, what were some other things that young Steve imagined himself doing at <sighs> age 7, age 14, you know, whatever? You know, I... I'm not really sure. Um, I kind of joke of it of like little kids want to become pilots and mm -hmm. then most little kids grow up and the pilots became pilots. So I, I never had like a great alternative of path. Mm -hmm. That's not a great answer to that question. But <laughs> no, you wanted to fly yeah, things and you I, flew I, things. Yeah, I wanted to fly things. I think I, I wanted to do something that I saw as like a bigger picture of things. And that was kind of my driving motivation for it. Can I ask an incredibly naive question? And I feel like the vets in the room will laugh at me, and that's okay if you do. If you wanted to fly things, why army? Yeah, that, that, no, that, that's a that's a fantastic question. Okay. Um, it, it just there's some certain mindsets. Um, okay. I'm gonna throw one out to make the Air Force people mad. Is what one that always like people talked about was. The Army has statues of people. The Air Force has statues of planes. Mm. Um, I, I always kind of was more inspired by that you mission. statues of people. Yeah, I, I do, absolutely. I see some good vet looks over for that one. <laughs> I like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I always found <clears throat> that more, a little more inspiring personally. Okay. Um, and that's no shot at anybody else. Okay. But uh, 
one of the cool things is like in the details of Army aviation, it's the very specific mission is to support people on the ground and they're your colleagues. So there are people who you want to support like the best you possibly can. Cool. You mentioned becoming a pilot in command quickly. What what does that mean? What does that look like? Yeah. So in uh in all of the army helicopters, there's so they're all dual pilots. But whenever they fly, there's one person who is in charge of the aircraft mm -hmm. when it's going. Um, usually it takes like so. Usually the progression is you leave flight school, then you get to your unit, you start flying at your unit, um, and at some point, once you once you start getting more proficient, you get start getting looked at for it. I was in like a, a good situation, good, of I was deployed right after flight school. So I had a lot of opportunities to one, fly a lot, and then to also be put in some like interesting, more stressful situations that kind of force you to think through decisions very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I also just had an amazing group of people I was with who kind of took me under their wing of like some of it was very tough feedback, but it was good feedback to get that allowed me to grow really fast. Um, but it, it was cool too, because it like, so to me, a lot of how organizations should be, that showed from it, of there were a whole lot of people who took me under their wing that they didn't actually have to. Like, I, after you fly for eight hours in Afghanistan and it's 100 degrees, the last thing you want to do is talk to a lieutenant about the things he messed up, but they would. So mm -hmm. I, I owe a lot of my success to that. Very nice. So flight school was after West Point. That's when you joined the Army? <laughs> exactly. So okay. graduate from West Point, commission as an officer in the Army, get a fun summer and then go initially to something called Bullock, the basic officer leader course, which is like two to three months of how to be an officer type training. Mm -hmm. And then after that, start official flight school. What was it like the first time you flew? It was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so one, it was pretty cool. Um, the other is I was absolutely terrible. And uh, it, it was funny in flight school, the initial phases of flight school are more with like contractors than with other people in the army. Um, and the contractors were all old Vietnam pilots. And they were, you know, they flew of like the scariest flying in the world and they were incredibly proficient, but also not all of them were super high on like the EQ side. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, my first instructor pilot just loved belittling me every day, but it, it made me be able to fly in like stressful situations. And in hindsight, it was the best thing the to ever happen. stress being him belittling? Yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and, okay. Every day I just fear going there and having this old crotchety man yell at me. <laughs> but uh, knowing that that old crotchety man was like an American hero which added to it. Yeah. Um, so I guess like to the extent that you feel comfortable sharing, what was your first deployment like? What surprised you? What was like different from what you expected? Yeah, so it, it was, one, it was kind of piecemealed. So the first, like I started with the first couple months of it, I was in a staff position. So when you're in a staff position in the army, it's kind of trying to do those things to enable others to be successful. In it, it was good, it had a very steep learning curve of, and you understand like the stakes are pretty high. So you, it's not a great time to have mistakes that you can't fix and you can't learn from and you don't make the same one twice. Um, but then w went to the second half of it, became a platoon leader, and it, it was very fast-paced. Um, I think it was like the final six months of it, I was in Jalalabad, Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time, so that was in 2013, there was a good amount going on. So it was very fast-paced. I was getting used to like operating an environment where there's a lot going on and you have to get as smart on everything as you can at a very quick time, yeah. which I think follow on kind of helped for skills of trying to make decisions when you don't really know all the info, but try to get like that 90% or as much as you can and make the best decision you can. Wow. So when you're first deployed and when you're first flying, you know, this is something you've been working for 
for a while. But it's really hard to know what it's going to be like before you do it. Like that's true of any job, yeah. but I think this in particular. Um, what did you What did you like like the most, and what yeah, what, so what was most for scary? especially like during yeah, that first deployment flying? Yeah. Um, I was a kid in a candy store. Uh-huh. Like it, there was no like there was no thing of like oh I don't like doing this anymore. Um, during that, especially during that summer, it was very fast paced, and I think I was flying like. Over, slightly over 100 hours a month, which is when you think about all the other things you have to do, that's a lot. But uh, specifically during that summer, it was high, like I, it was high enjoyment. Um, and that was like, to be honest, that's what my life was kind of about at the time. Mm-hmm. So that was mm-hmm. everything I had was put towards that goal of becoming the best I could at it and like being able to mm-hmm. safely do it and then hopefully soon be in a position to lead others mm-hmm. doing it. What was the most boring part? <laughs> so the the boring part is like the, so the flying part is like it, it's inherently pretty cool it's inherently pretty sexy um, <laughs> call it what it is but the, the boring part is it doesn't just happen mm-hmm. so it, in order to do that there has to be so, you have to think of how many hours of work there are before and after and those are the parts that like they don't look cool you're when you see your Navy SEAL movie they're not going to show that mm-hmm. but uh, like if you don't do that bad things will happen. And if you could go back to West Point, Steve, and something you wish you knew at that time or something that if you were there teaching now, you would try to teach differently, is there anything you kind of wish you knew in making that transition or were you as <coughs> no, prepared I, as could be? No, so I, I think I definitely wasn't as prepared as could be, but I think the important part was <laughs> a lot of the mistakes I made, and there were many, um, they're kind of needed for your learning curve of moving mm-hmm. forward. Mm-hmm. So like, that's the reason I don't mean it. Like I did everything perfect. Now I, I mm-hmm. made a large amount of mistakes, but I think I learned from them pretty well. And that l- allowed me to be successful later mm-hmm. on. Interesting. Um, I guess kind of moving along to the Ebola crisis. <laughs> um, I guess, how did that come up? Um, what, what was that like? <laughs> yeah. Just so, so yeah, th- this is, this is kind of a cool one of, I like I think of as far as my life will go this is one of those kind of high points of it of Mm -hmm. things both of being proud of but also like just feel good experiences so in 2014 at the time of like it's kind of hard to think back on now but over that summer it started like the breakout was slowly occurring and then in September of that September of that time frame I was actually went to a training area called the National Training Center which is Curtis has been there quite a bit, so he's familiar. It's it's probably the worst place in the entire world. Um, <laughs> oh. And with that, so this was for an army training event that mm-hmm. it's the best training area. You can like get good at doing things how you do it deployed, but it's not an enjoyable place to be at. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason it's not enjoyable is you are totally disconnected from the outside world. So I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't have a computer. Everything I was doing was work training missions. So really had no idea what was happening in September. Um, and near the end of the month, my battalion commander, who was, would essentially be my boss's boss, who was a great leader, um, grabbed me and said, hey, do you want to go to Africa? And I, I laughed at him. I, I hadn't really slept in about two days. I had no idea what he was referring to. I just said, no, I don't. And then, like, <laughs> he, uh, he continued. Like, he just had a blank stare at me and, like, asked me again, like, you're sure you don't want to go? And like, Are you being serious? He said, That's it. I'm being very serious. And uh, I was like, yeah, no. And uh, about a day later, got to a computer, figured out what it was about, and like called him up, just apologizing, apologizing. I'm really dumb. You're really smart. Please let me go. <laughs> um, after doing that for about two days, got told by 
his direct report. So my actual boss like stopped talking to him. But uh, <laughs> about a week later, they came and showed me the slides of who was going, and I was the leader of it. Mm. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. Um, and so you were in Liberia, correct? In yeah. Liberia? So it was. Yeah, we were based out of Monrovia, Liberia. So it was a very quick turn. Um, at first, when I so when I left the National Training Center about a week later to go home, I we weren't sure exactly how fast it was going to come, and we mm -hmm. thought it may have been as soon as like the next week, but it ended up not being quite that fast because it was put, like the package that went was put together intelligently. Um, about a month and a half later, was in Africa. Mm -hmm. And what was kind of your role on the ground? Yeah, so at the time, my official position of it was a detachment commander. So it was kind of like just one level up from that the job I did when I was deployed to Afghanistan. And what I would do specifically was understanding what missions have to happen, put together the schedule, the aircraft, make sure the maintenance was all set, and make sure everyone was outfitted to go do what they needed to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just like the kind of theory behind it was in West Africa, so we talked about why we'd build the treatment units, but specifically in Liberia, it, it takes a long time to get around, and it's not necessarily the safest trip when you consider like heavy vehicles and all that. Mm -hmm. So what would take like a van or a truck maybe two days could take a Blackhawk two and a half hours. Huh. So uh, yeah, threw on external fuel range tanks on all of our helicopters, and every day would just be flying to some other remote part of the country, yeah. which I, like, I still remember thinking too was pretty neat of. I think it was like 26 at the time, and I'd, I'd be going single aircraft to like a village on the border of Guinea. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Coincidentally, you bet get better cell phone service on the border of Guinea than mm. you do in El Paso. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> like significantly not a joke. Like, yeah, I, I could FaceTime family members in wow. small villages in remote Africa. Well, great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I heard you were 2014 time person of the year. That is a fact. Yeah, <laughs> that is a fact. So I don't know if maybe not me specifically, but yes. Pull it up. Uh, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess also that experience must have been like there must have been. I imagine that you must have seen a lot of like, interesting things. Um, or were there ever times when maybe you were like concerned for your health or safety? <coughs> yeah, so it, it was. Specifically, just how it arose was no one really, I, I don't think there was a really great grasp, specifically back in 2014, of exactly how, how infectious the disease would be. So there, it was definitely, there was definitely some nerves about it. Um, and I, I remember back then, if there was some real fear, like in the U.S., when you'd be at airports, you'd see people like trying to avoid contact with each other even though it was, hey, this is not like a transmitted in the air, people were still kind of afraid, hey, maybe it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do remember some serious fear about that. And then the other part was in the train up. Um, I remember there was a brief during the train up of we had specific anti-malaria medicine and I wasn't really paying attention during one of the briefs. It was like, hey, yeah, if you don't take this medicine, like there's a 50% chance you're going to get malaria. I was like, that's not good. But then they continue like in the first five days. Like, mm -hmm. So there, there were definitely some scary parts from that. Yeah. And when you had this better than El Paso cell service, <laughs> um, what were conversations like with people at home, your family and your friends, especially given the fact that the, uh, the contagion of this disease was unknown? No, it, it, was, it was good. Uh, I, I think one of the cool parts is it's hard to look at this and not like have it be a feel good despite the risks that were associated with it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think there was clearly like a, hey, we're happy where you're doing this. Please be safe. Like please do everything you can do to 
make sure everything's going to be all right with it. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it was good, definitely good conversations and positive conversations. Yeah. What were some of the what were some of the low points in the in the day to day of <coughs> any part of your career? And I specifically, um, if you want to talk about the worst smell you ever smelled, which you recently <laughs> told me about, I imagine oh, no. that was one of the low points. Well, uh, we, we can first go to the first smell story. Oh, gosh. Uh, the, kind of a, a good one to laugh about. So when I was at West Point, I went to Airborne School, and uh, that is in Fort Benning, Georgia, which is oh, southern well. Georgia. Quite yeah, quite warm. And, Fort Benning. Yeah, it was during the summer. And uh, after a very long day outside, everyone was very soaked in sweat, and some individuals thought the best thing to do would be to just skip the washing machine and, hey, it's wet, just throw it in the dryer. Anyone listening, oh. don't do this. <laughs> Alex asked for that anecdote, so still there that is. Um, they threw. I just want. They threw their dirty, dirty clothes sweaty clothes in the, dryer. in the dryer. Yeah, not a great technique. No. Um, no yeah, no. not a great technique, but a funny story. Um, but uh, back to your first question about that. <laughs> yeah, I, that I, scarred me. That's why I had to bring <laughs> it up. I was like, this I, needs to be known by a wider audience. I, I, I think with it is probably the same thing that we face in other jobs. Of so specifically. For Africa, like there's no doubt that you're doing something very worthy. You're doing something that's an effort that deserves all of the attention it's getting, and that's like the big picture in the North Star you're following. But sometimes the day to day is just brutal, mm -hmm. and that's mm -hmm. I, I think of it very similar to probably our future job, mm -hmm. and where even though you're doing something that at the end of the day is going to help and going to be very good, mm -hmm. sometimes when you're doing the same tasks all day every mm -hmm. day and getting a limited amount of time off, it can just be draining. Yeah, in the middle of your time in the Army, were you thinking that this was going to be <coughs> your career? Like, when you entered the Army, were you thinking, like, this was going to be your career for life? Were you always viewing this as something yeah, you no, wanted that, to do that's for a, a time? Yeah, no, that's a real good question. Um, I think early on, so when I graduated from West Point, I think probably wasn't, wouldn't have counted on it being a career. Excuse me. But I'd say especially about the midway through, I really thought it was going to be. Hmm. Um, so I, I had, I, you know, that it was three deployments in a fairly short time. Um, it was something that I was obviously just giving everything I had to it. Um, and at the time, that was definitely what I thought my future would have been. Um, and there were some, like, different paths it could have gone down. Mm -hmm. But I, at the time, I think pretty widely thought that that is what it was going to be. And when did it start to change? So after that third deployment, it was, you know, it was all really good experiences, but in the same, you, you come back after it, and it was, so it was three of them in like a three and a half, four year period, and it's just kind of a lot. Mm -hmm. So also just a little bit of reflecting of other things I might want to do, and it kind of just had, like it, it, was a, it was a hard decision. So I remember there was probably about a month really where I thought about it hard. It was, to be honest, like a pretty emotional decision, but it was one of those ones where, hey, once it was made, like that's it, the decision's made, it's time to plan this out as smart as I can for next steps. Mm. <laughs> so what, if you don't mind sharing, like made it emotional for you and what yeah what no was, like, absolutely so the conflicting the emotional part is just like it, it was not like a nine to five job mm -hmm. so it, it was something that was truly everything I had was always put into it um especially the early ones like tried to get deployments tried to be as good as I could at the things um so just anything that you put so much time and effort into it, it can be hard to walk away from yeah. um and I, I think it, so it was that combined with just the fact that it was it was, and I still think it is for everyone doing it, like it's something that does have a higher purpose and tremendous value to do. Yeah. So it just made it kind of hard to get over that mental hurdle of maybe there are other things I want to do too. 
Were your like teammates or um, like higher ups surprised? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so, and that's that's one that was kind of a decision that my very close family members knew. Even most of my friends weren't really aware of it. Um, in in the military, like I, I was able to do some pretty cool things. I, I was on a very good path for it. Um, I think there was some some serious surprise. Um, but once I gave, <coughs> excuse me, the cool part was. By and large, after I gave, hey, this is what I'm going to do, but this is my plan, everyone was very supportive. So it's like most of my letter of recommendations came with people who are my supervisors or people I worked with in the military. Um, You have to do, when you exit, you do some pretty serious exit interviews or exit Mm -hmm. counselings, whatever you want to call them. And it, it was, I remember the final one I had with my brigade commander who, so a full bird colonel about like think kind of CEO of a small, smallish like thousand two thousand person company mm. so i guess a medium to large company <laughs> um and to be honest like asked for a little bit about the why but then shifted 100 percent to hey let's hear your plan i want to make sure you're as success- successful as possible when i told him nyu was happy about that and then went how are you going to pay what's your health insurance all those things you hope someone cares about and i remember walking out of the office and be like you know that like this was a hard conversation but in the same this is the conversation the type of conversation that made me want to be in an organization yeah. like this. Yeah. So it was, for the most part, a very positive experience. Awesome. Yeah. Um, how, when you decided to leave, how did you go from, okay, I know I want to, I think I want to leave, to business school? <coughs> like, how did that become the next step? Yeah. I, so I, I think it, earlier we talked about, like, was it my plan for leaving early on? And I think the answer was no. But I, I think it was at, like, a early time realized with the background I had, that business school was probably the best transition I could make. Um, I think one of the pluses of being in the Army and having some of those experiences is, like, soft skills were pretty high. Um, as far as hard skills go, though, if the job wasn't flying a helicopter, I don't know there was much I was prepared to do well. Um, I feel like that's not true, <laughs> but okay. No. Um, so I, I thought it was just the tremendous way to, hey, let's work the other side of the resume to make it so we're ready to go out and face the real world. And looked at not a lot of schools. Um, so I had grown up coming to New York probably once a year. And then West Point's 45 minutes from here. So came here a lot then and really just fell in love with the city. Yeah. Um, so really made it known of that's, that's probably where I want to be. Um, every call I had with someone at NYU kind of got off the phone thing like, hey, this person was very smart. But also this is someone who I'd like enjoy having a beer with or would enjoy working on a project with. And that really just put NYU as what I thought was the right fit. Cool. Still, moving to New York City and living <laughs> here is different from even West Point's not that far away. It's different from different, Cleveland. Yeah. Different from Afghanistan. Um, <laughs> what, uh, you know, ha- how how has the last year and a bit been? And yeah, what, what what's in, uh, your experience been like here? W- one of the things I like it with it was so my last duty station that I was at in the Army was. Fort Rucker, Alabama, home of aviation in lower Alabama. So lower Alabama to Manhattan, little bit of a change, you know. Uh, <laughs> no, they're the same. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so it, it, was, it was all, and it all, the other part that was interesting of it was the way my contract in the Army worked, I didn't officially get out until November of last year, which meant I was using a lot of saved off time off, saved up time off to come. Mm. Um, so I had signed out of the Army, like, on, like, August 12th, Got in a car, drove from Alabama to New York, started to move in, and then we started at Stern like eight days later. So I remember, shout out to Block 5 over there, like early on, <laughs> early on someone would like, 
show up late to something with a coffee in their hand or like, uh, what is going on here? Like it, it was different. So it, it was definitely a little bit of a transition period of just like the norms of society versus the norms you have in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, but the program was awesome. All of our classmates and our blockmates were awesome, um, which led to a good semester last year. Definitely, you know, it, it was one of those things of trying to showing up, not realizing that recruiting was essentially going to start in the first couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. So it was interesting of had just gotten out of the military, had just moved to New York, was trying to understand navigating oh. a job market, um, just moved in with my significant other for the first time. So there's a lot of life changes at once mm-hmm. that uh, was balancing them. But it, w- it was a great experience. That is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah wow. Um, so and it's funny you mentioned like people coming in late. I heard there was like a story about you going to Canada and being. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so these are just like the life differences of I remember last year, one of our friends and vets, Greg, his now fiance and my girlfriend went to Canada for a ski trip, um, left on like a Thursday night. And I, I still remember it. So it was in like January approaching the border and just stop like, wait a second, I haven't told anyone, like I haven't done paperwork. Like, this is a very different experience than the military. And things like that were just a little bit interesting changes and culture shocks to be with. Yeah, definitely. But I don't think there was a cooler way than moving to Manhattan to do it. Of Like, I don't think it's something you should do like baby steps and just go. Yeah. I guess outside of like the life differences, what do you, how do you feel like, do you, do you think being a vet and being in business school like that is a different experience than uh, like a civilian student or? Anything like that? Yeah, you know, I, I think in kind of to hijack the question a bit, like sure, one of the things I one of the things I love about Stern is there's a lot of really diverse backgrounds, and it comes together really nicely. And just when I like look at our block and think about everyone in our block, there are so many different experiences and life perspectives, and it's neat to have them all in one place. Um, so I think everyone here kind of brings a little bit of a different background and. Everyone has the things they're good at and bad at. Thanks for getting me through quant classes now, Phil. Everyone kind of has those things they're good and bad at, but it kind of comes together here to make everyone really work together well. And that's why I love like the EQ part here. Do you think there are like specific skills or values that veterans bring that are unique? Yeah, and I appreciate that question. So obviously it's Vets Week at Stern. Um, I think one of the cool things to highlight is, so all, all of the vets here, um, got out of the military for a few still in the military, <clears throat> come to a top business school, like we're all fairly privileged. Mm. I think one of the things to think about is just value that all veterans can bring. And I think it's a good time to highlight it because, hey, everyone leaving here is going to go on and in some way have a position to be in charge of shaping companies, organizational culture, to some degree hiring. <coughs> Excuse me. So I, I think it's just very worthwhile to think about like the positives that a vet brings. It's going to be someone who, in most cases, is kind of ready to outfight their station in life mm. of whatever their job title is. I promise they're not going to be, a, oh, well, that's not my job title. They're going to be team first in everything they do. And, you know, they're, some of the worries that you have with some people in the world, you just don't have to have with a vet. They should be showing up on time. You know, they're going to put the team first. They're going to usually have the right attitude. Mm-hmm. And I think there's tremendous value of it. Oh. And, it, you know, it's one of those things that vets don't always, I think, have the best technical hard skills. Mm-hmm. But I think the soft skills are so far ahead that it's worthwhile taking a risk on. So I think that's a great point. 
And as we've said before, it's Vets Week here at Stern, and there's been a lot of events like this morning. I know a bunch of you were doing push-ups in Washington Square Park at like six in the morning, and tomorrow there's a dunk tank, which if you're in, I will um, buy some balls and, and have someone who can throw, throw them. Um, <laughs> but even outside of this week, um, I feel like the the vet community at Stern is a really close one and a and a and a special one. And how has how has that been part of uh, your experience here? And and you know, Alex is just trying to get you to cry. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, no tears coming. Um, well, first I will get in the dunk tank. So uh, Sam and I will jump in and we'll put on a show for everybody. Um, yeah, I, I think the vet community here is very is very good. Of that was as a vet when you're looking at schools, those are from the first touch points on the calls you're going to make. Um, for better or worse, usually vets will give you like a very blunt truth of mm-hmm. this is what's good and this is what's bad, and they're going to not sugarcoat things. Um, so it was valuable one to hear from the people a few classes in front of us, um, and then it's been neat to have a community of people kind of for the most part doing the same thing of all recently transitioned trying to get used to everything here. And then also to just highlight it, I I think NYU, I, I would be very impressed if there's another school that's as veteran friendly as NYU is. Um, the Fertitta program in here is amazing. The ability, I didn't actually get to take part of it because my schedule didn't allow for it, but to do that summer start just puts you so far ahead of, I think, other vets making mm-hmm. the transition. Mm-hmm. So it's really <clears throat> impressive to me too what NYU does to help the situation. And the transition to, to business school is one thing, but then there's the transition to the work after. And we all had little pictures of what that will be like this summer. How was working in consulting after? Yeah, it was, it, it was, it was cool. So that was, first it was, that's what I looked to recruit to last year mm-hmm. and uh, ended up in the McKinsey Cleveland office, which is very cool that there is a McKinsey office in Cleveland. <laughs> so it's my ticket home. How big <laughs> is it? Uh, it's... So it's somewhere between like 75, 80 people. It, it's yeah. a, it's probably on the smaller side of a medium office, but it's still a medium-sized office. Okay. Um, and absolutely love the culture of the office, love the people there. I'm excited to head back. Um, and I, I think back to those soft skills that we talked about, that, that was the part that helped me be successful. Of I, I'm used to working you know, in fairly ambiguous situations, and we faced a lot of those this summer. And mm-hmm. I, I think that it's a good match for my background and what I want to do in the future. Mm-hmm. And then, so you'll be back to Cleveland. Yeah. So uh, after, after looking full circle, looking forward to the next, I think, seven or eight months till we graduate. And then, uh, about the week after, we'll be packing up a U-Haul. Jeff, Sam, Curtis, need your help for that. And, uh, <laughs> packing up a U-Haul and heading back home. Awesome. What do you have on your New York bucket list in the next seven to eight months? That that's a good question. <laughs> um, one, I'm gonna over this next period, watch Home Alone 2 about 10 times, mm. minimum. Um, Lost in New York. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's probably a large reason I came to Stern. <laughs> uh, I, I said that during our, the beginning of launch, was not kidding to everyone at Airpods. Um, but it, yeah, I, I just, I wanna enjoy the cool things there are here. Yeah. Like the city truly never sleeps and Cleveland unfortunately does sleep. Um, <laughs> so just take advantage of all the diverse things you can do here, okay. which I'm pretty excited for. Plus dollar pizza is pretty good. Yeah. Um, on a totally different note, I feel like we can't let you leave without, I've heard some story about a Hungarian um, <laughs> customs situation, um, and I just feel like that <laughs> it should be shared. Cool. That, that can be a <laughs> solid intro on that. Yeah. Uh, that can be one of them. So I think anyone who knows me knows that sports is like a fairly important thing to me. Um, between me and Namdi, two people on our block, 
One of us played in the NFL. One of us played a lot of Madden. I'm not gonna. I'm not, <laughs> not gonna let anyone guess who was who. I'll leave that for anyone who can get on the internet. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, sports is always really important to me, and it was actually so in coming here. It was part of my pick six, and the reason that I think it's like one of those impressive things is sports is kind of the great connector of people. Um, and there's a lot of times people you may not otherwise have had like a connection with that can be it. So when we were flying to Southeast Turkey, that was what's kind of known as a self-deployment. So instead of putting all of our equipment and our helicopters on a plane or on boats, we just flew them ourselves. <clears throat> and as we're going, we, we stopped in Hungary. So we're at a small air base in Hungary and we spend the night there. And the next morning, it's time to leave. So all the aircraft are ready, they're fueled up, we're ready to go, engines started, we're about to depart, and these two little, like, very small European cars come up, and it was European Customs. Shut everything down, go out to try and talk to them about it, and uh, they didn't speak English. So it was not a great set for us leaving. It's about 20 minutes later, we hadn't really made any progress with it. Um, starting the route of getting hold of, like, the embassy, which they could have cleared it up, but it just would have taken some time and it was a little bit time sensitive to get going. There was some issue with our paperwork that with the language barriers, they weren't really able to say, we weren't really able to understand. And then somehow one of the customs workers started a little bit talking about football and one of my, one of my colleagues, but also friends called me over and not able to really have a conversation, realized he was talking about Marshawn Lynch, the uh, running back previously for the Seattle Seahawks. And a really like big burly guy started doing. Marshawn Lynch had like the world's greatest run in the playoffs, the run hurt around the world. Started referencing that, so we realized it. Like he did his reenactment. <laughs> Literally, he started smiling, gave like the "Hey, you're good" sign, walked off. Twenty minutes later, four Blackhawks on their way, um, <laughs> and, and that's Lynch. just yeah, Marshawn Lynch. I told him I would bring him a jersey the next time, so I could never go back to that airbase, or, <laughs> <laughs> or else I'd have to have a just walk around with a Marshawn Lynch jersey. Um, but yeah, it's just a, a few stories of that that I just think are cool connections where you can use sports to kind of bridge the gap when there may not be a connection otherwise. Yeah. <clears throat> well, on that note, thank yeah. you so much for being with us it's today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you, everyone who came. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you.